Thank you for tuning in. My prayer is that this message is going to be an encouragement to you personally and will cause great growth in your life. It's time to live and it's time to take this next step forward. God bless you as you listen. They're passing those baskets. I'd love it if you go ahead and get your Bibles and open them up to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Uh, I, and then hold your place there because I'm, I'm going to take this, this, uh, this, this scripture here, these two verses. I'm going to break it down a lot for us. I want to make it very meaningful to you. And, and, and I'm, I'm, going to, I'm, going to talk, I'm going to talk in some depth really about what this scripture actually means today. So make sure you have that in your Bibles or your Bible app. Uh, just a little bit of Fort Worth history. I love Fort Worth history. I, I do. I love just exploring the history of our city. Uh, as some of you know, I, I told you a few weeks ago that I actually discovered that that like a distant relative of mine was was the first resident of Fort Worth before there was a Fort Worth. So there's anything, and and so that I think that's kind of cool. I just call her Aunt Woody, and uh, that's 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 who she was. But. But I love the history of our city. You know, back in the uh, the early part of the 1900s, this was a very, very different city than than we see it as today. Of course, it was much smaller, but but it was a city that was it was a rough, tough place, and. Uh, during the oh teens twenties and thirties, there was a pastor who uh, who actually lived just three blocks from here, just three three blocks straight north of here is where his house was. But he he pastored a a church here in downtown. His name was Frank Norris. Now Frank Norris is actually a person who who created a lot of uh, a lot of change. He was a huge massive influencer here in the city. Uh, he pastored actually what is known as America's very first multi-site church because he had different locations because they, they had grown out of their location. They had different locations. Uh, he would preach three services a day. And then he also ended up having a second campus like in a completely different city up north that he would fly to. Uh, he, he's also known as, as America's first um, megachurch pastor because they uh, like on a typical Sunday morning here in town. They would have anywhere from five to seven thousand people attend the services here in Fort Worth, and that was that was a huge, huge, huge deal way back then. Uh, but but Frank, in in my opinion, is undoubtedly one of the most significant influencers here in the city of Fort Worth because what he did is. Actually, he did a lot of things, but he led a campaign to literally wipe out a portion of downtown. Uh, some of you have heard of it before. It's, it, it was known as Hell's Half Acre. And Hell's Half Acre was not a half an acre. It was, they often called it the acre back then, but it was about two to three acres in property. Uh, it, it's where the Omni Hotel is today, that area over there where the Water Gardens is. The, the convention center is just eight blocks straight in that direction. Well, he was very, very instrumental in seeing everything that was there wiped out. Because Hell's Half Acre, it was a part of town where, uh, where alcoholism thrived. Uh, there was just horrible drug abuse there in the streets, uh, prostitution, murder, suicide. In fact, it is said that, that the suicide rate in just that little part of Fort Worth was higher than the entire state of Texas on any given day. It was a terrible, terrible place. Uh, it was a, just a dark part of our history. Well, 
uh, it, it ended up being a very long and tedious process that Frank walked through. But what he did is he used his influence and, uh, and people basically who were profiting from what was happening, profiting financially from what was happening over in Hell's Half Acre, he just began to expose them. And he started with the mayor himself. Uh, some of you know, you've heard of Mayor, mayor, mayor Meacham, and you probably know the word Meacham, Meacham Field, Meacham Boulevard. Well, actually, that was a mayor, but he was, he was getting kickbacks from all of the stuff that was happening over there. And he called them out and began, to, and began to deal with that. He called out city council members, and they actually replaced the mayor, the city replaced the city council and then they went to town it was over several years but the city took back that property the city owned it and still owns most of it in fact one little thing if you pay attention to anything that's going on here in the city is there was a there was a there was a sale of some of the city property that was over there where the Omni Hotel uh, sits today. Uh, the city finally, they, they, they were, they, the city decided they were not going to give up that property for a long, long time because they didn't want a reestablishment of that spirit that was, that was once there. So like the Omni Hotel, where that property is, that's, been, that's belonged to the city for a long time. The city finally just sold it to them, saying, okay, we're, we're willing to release some of this property. That's why the water gardens are there. When you look at the water gardens, they built that so that it would not be, so that no one would just come in and easily begin to build something else on top of it. Kind of interesting, isn't it? That's the, you think, well, that's just a cute little water garden. No, there's a story behind it. And that story goes back to a man by the name of Frank Norris. The city is different today because a man chose to leverage his influence. Many people did. My message title today is Influence Made Simple. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to challenge you to leverage your influence. And uh, the good news about this, you might say, well, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm messed up. Well, the good news is that God chooses imperfect people as influencers. He really does. Uh, you're imperfect. I know you are already. So that makes you an ideal candidate for God to pour his life and his wisdom and his grace and his influence through you. You know, a few little examples that are in the scriptures of, of influencers who, who just, you know, they, they didn't have it all together. See, there was no one who had it all together, and that was Jesus. Uh, start off with there was Moses. Moses, I'll just tell you, that guy was way too temperamental. <laughs> we talked about him a few weeks ago. He, he's, he t- went and struck the rock when God told him to speak to it, and they got angry and hit it a second time. And, and he had a temper, yet he was also one of God's anointed leaders. Scripture says he was, the most, he, was, he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. That's huge. David, King David, well, he didn't have it all together either. In fact, King David was an adulterer and a murderer. I mean, rather than, uh, rather than go out with his men into the fighting campaign that they did each year, what he did is he chose to stay at home. And while he was at home, he had an affair. He committed adultery with his neighbor, the lady by the name of Bathsheba. And then to cover up the crime, what he did is he sent her, he had her husband sent to the front lines of the battle so that he would be killed. And then he took Bathsheba as his wife. <laughs> Crazy, right? Yeah. So you look at that, there's some huge inconsistencies with what he was doing and who he was supposed to be. And that's never acceptable, but the, the, the truth is, is that the Bible still calls him a man after God's own heart. And it was even through David's lineage that we have Jesus. 
there was Elijah. Elijah in the Old Testament, he was always, he was fearful. <laughs> in fact, he, you know, like, he fearlessly challenged all the prophets of Baal and, and, and the king himself and, 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 and just, just boldly called fire from heaven and, and God sent fire and burned us up. It was just a really incredible event. And then he found out that the king's wife, Jezebel, was mad at him. She said she was going to kill him, and so he got afraid, and he ran and hid. And God was like, what, what are you doing? You know, you scaredy cat? Peter. Peter is another one of those. He just didn't have it all together all the time. I, mean, I, I would have to say that Peter was emotionally reactive constantly. Uh, he wanted to be the leader of the group, and, but he always was speaking out of turn, and he would throw things out and say things that were just like dumb. Hey, you know, he would put his foot in his mouth constantly. In fact, in fact one day he, he got upset and he cut the, the, uh, the, the chief priest, cut, his, cut the servant's uh, ear off you know, with his sword. It's like, oh, that's not very smart. In, in fact, he even denied that he even knew Jesus around the time of the crucifixion. Yeah, but God still used him. He was an instrument of God. Paul, Paul, a religious bigot. This man hated Christians. He called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, it's, it's pretty obvious that he oversaw the stoning of the very first Christian martyr, who was Stephen, and he oversaw that as, as, as a, you know, he was dying right there, and he was cheering them on. Uh, he, would get pri- he would get Christians and put them into prison for their faith. Real, what I'm trying to tell you here is nobody is perfect. Basically, it's this. Our heart takes preeminence over our gifts, over our failures, over our successes. Our heart takes preeminence over our, even our education or our tenure. It doesn't necessarily matter where you fall in the, in the order of things in the world. God doesn't, isn't looking for that. God's looking for your heart. That's why, that's why I will always teach and preach about the condition of our hearts so that our hearts have that right, right place with God. And, uh, and, you know, God, what he's looking for is he's, he's just looking for someone with an open heart to say, God, you know, I want your power to work through me. So God will choose people who are less experienced, people who are flawed, people who are less impressive, even people who are less educated. <laughs> because that less, with a lot of God in it, ends up to be more than what anyone else could offer. That's what God wants to do with us. He wants you to be an influencer. Influencer in your home, an influencer in education, in government, business, wherever your, your cultural street is. So looking at this, the truth is, looking at all these guys who didn't have it all together, but were instruments of God, truth is, there's hope for all of us. We can all be influencers. Now, if you were to be able to sit and sit in and listen to a top-level leadership discussion between the Apostle Paul and, uh, and, and the leader of one of the big churches, that, you know, big city churches back uh, at, at the very, very beginning of Christianity, I mean, that would be pretty awesome. You know? what, what would we hear Paul saying to this, to this pastor? What would we hear saying? Well, we're actually going to get to tap into some of that today because uh, the Apostle Paul wrote two letters to a guy by the name of Timothy. It's First and Second Timothy. 
It's in the Bible. Timothy was the pastor of, of this huge citywide church uh, in the city of Ephesus. And this city had, this church had grown significantly. In fact, the, the impact of this church totally uh, shook up the economy there in, in Ephesus. In fact, it is, church history even tells us that eventually they moved the, the headquarters of, of the Christian church from Jerusalem to Ephesus. It said that even Mary, the mother of Jesus, she died there and was buried there. So, so that, that was a huge cultural epicenter of activity, and, and it was an impactful place. It was a place where the church had huge impact over the whole city. And so what is happening here is Paul, another influencer who really turned the world upside down, he's now talking to Timothy, and he's giving him advice on his leadership giving him advice so that he can be a better influencer, and that translates for us as well. Influence is an important part of who we are. It's one of our core values as a church, and, uh, and I, I believe in it. Um, but gaining influence, this is important, guys, gaining influence demands certain characteristics to be thriving within us. It really does. And you can also lose influence overnight. And, and, uh, I've seen people lose influence, and typically influence is lost so quickly when a person's mouth gets out of control or their emotions get out of control. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. So we're going to talk about that. I'm going to challenge you today. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to encourage you to walk and talk and and be in control of your emotions and your mouth in a way so that you can really make Jesus known, so that you can be the influencer that you want to be. And I'm going to challenge you to avoid some of the things that can derail your ability to influence. And uh, it's a good time to to have this conversation. Right now, we're entering into a very intense time period <clears throat> from now for the next several months uh, probably the next 14 15 months uh, we're in presidential campaign season again and uh and i for the past 20 years since i've been a lead pastor i've seen political opinions uh lead to arguments like unfriending blocking on social media people leaving churches ending relationships, and a lot of other things. Can I just be your pastor today? Can I talk about that? Let's talk about it. Let's just, let's just get it out so we can de- get it out now and not, not have to be reactive and talk about it later because this is not a reaction to anything. I mean proactive regarding what stirs people up. So what happens is it's, it's a person has a, an opinion, uh, an opinion regarding something political, and someone else hears that, and the other person gets upset and throws a fit because this person had an opinion, all right? Now, that's a problem in the church, and I'm just going to address it right now. Uh, Since City Life has been here, we've now been through two presidential elections, but I will also tell you it's very sad because I see it from the perspective of a pastor because both of those times, I know of people who've been in our church who've gotten angry at other people because they find out their political viewpoints and they're not even trying to shove it down their throat it's just they find it out and they get angry and they just they just leave the church never to return that ought not be i'll just put it out right now i i, I don't 
can I be vulnerable with you? I don't, I don't want to hear of anybody leaving the church because you don't like Billy Bob's stance on something else. You know, who is Billy Bob, and who cares? Do you hear? Do you get it? Now, if you, some of you are ruffled by that, then just just it's going to be okay. Just just inhale, exhale. It's going to be all right because you can do that out there in the world all you want, but we're not going to throw relationships in the trash. You're not going to walk out of your church and abandon relationship with your local church because you don't like the position that somebody else who goes to the church has. That, my friend, is immature and childish. And it doesn't have any place in the body of Christ. You catching me? Now listen carefully to what I'm saying. It really, really doesn't. Now you might say, well, like if you don't know me, you might say, well, obviously you don't care about politics. Uh, You don't know who I am, obviously. (laughs) I care deeply about it. I, I'm, I actually happen to be very deeply involved in politics here in our own community. I participate at a local government level, and most of you know God has given me places of influence, and, and I step into that. It's nothing I ever asked God for or whatever, but it's happened, and so I walk into that. So, but one thing that I don't do is I don't use this platform, which is for pro- proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, and blast just opinions everywhere about every little issue, all right? I, I'm not, you're not going to see me up here displaying my anger about a potential little issue. or start. I'll sometimes share with you things that are happening and ask you to pray, but I'm not going to drive wedges in, okay? Because I do understand there are differing opinions. The gospel is the gospel. And, and you know what, what so-and-so said over here that at that courtroom, you know, is that really, is that really going, to, going to overtake the gospel? I was like, no. That's why I will take a back seat to that because I'm not going to let anything get in the way of people coming to Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? All right. In fact, we have uh, our cultural streets, which we're called to. Those are our places of influence uh, that, that God has kind of uh, built it into us. Uh, if you've not yet taken the cultural t- streets test, you know, please go to our website, culturalstreets.com, and go ahead and take that so you can see your area of effectiveness. But one of these axioms I want to share with you today has to do with cultural streets is that your influence is lost through uncontrolled mouths and emotions. That is very important for anyone who's exerting influence. Whether it's a parent, a child, it's in a, whether it's, it's in the business world, in the education, in the arts. If we're going to influence, if we're really going to be people of influence, we have to learn how to control our mouths as well as our emotions. Here's one thing we've got to say. Is it really worth saying what I'm wanting to say? It takes a, a fruit of the Spirit to hold back. And, uh, and that's called self-control. Self-control helps you keep your mouth shut when you shouldn't be talking. And that's a big part of what we're talking about today. So now take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. We're going to look at what Paul's advice is to Timothy regarding this in this cultural center of Ephesus. And it has everything to do with this principle. Paul says to him, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Did you guys know that the word stupid is in the Bible? It is. It is, it is right there. Have nothing to do with the foolish and stupid arguments. 
because you, you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. We're going to break this down. And I have two words underlined right there that we're going to jump on first. Uh, and, and again, today my prayer is that you're going to leave here better equipped to be an influencer. Uh, and of course, as a pastor, I have a responsibility. The scripture says I'm supposed to equip you to do the ministry. In fact, equip you to make Jesus known. And that's what this is today. So today is equipping day. So write a few things down. First of all, that word foolish, foolish. That, the, the, a, a translation of that word from its original language, really, I, I like the word absurd. Absurd is a good term for that. In fact, it comes from the root word, uh, actually it comes from the Greek word moros. Uh, that word foolish or absurd, moros. That's where we get our word moron, you know. In other words, don't, don't be involved in moronic arguments, you, you know. And, and then, then they use the word stupid. Stupid, it's, what this means in its original language is this. It's the opposite of, it, of discipline and educated. It's unstructured, stupid, or unlearned. So we're supposed to avoid foolish and stupid arguments at all costs. And I'm going to give you several principles today from this passage of Scripture, and I want you to write them down. And I mean, I have them listed, principle one, two, three, four, and five. I want you to jot this down. Here's principle number one. Write it down or take a picture of it on the screen because I want you to get this. Influence principle here is don't have anything to do with absurd and undisciplined arguments. There's certain types of arguments you need to stay away from. You know, a good way to know that one of those is coming is when a person says, well, if you'd like to know what I think, I'm just going to tell, I'm just going to get it all out. I'm just going to tell you what I think. Right there, right there, that's a sign. This is foolish. It's absurd. I'm going to take a step back. It's like, la, 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 la. Find an excuse like, oh, my toe hurts. You know, uh, if your toe doesn't hurt, then step on it. Oh, my, you know, my toe, I got to go. <laughs> Find a reason to walk away. You think about this. Is the topic really worth discussing and arguing about? And, and, and here's the other deal. Do you really think that by arguing back, you're going to change that person's mind? If not, it's an absurd, undisciplined argument. And those things will get you into a lot of trouble. And here's the problem. Your influence will not grow if you're doing that kind of stuff. See, what an argument is, is an argument is based upon one person's desire to control and have things their own way. That really is the basis of an argument. And we're not, and, and if it happens to be a foolish or stupid argument, then we avoid it at all costs. Don't fall into that trap of giving into it, okay? Let's look back at the scripture. Let's, let's pull a few more words out of here. Let's, let's get into this. Don't have anything, 2 Timothy 2, 23, don't have anything to do with the foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant, that's important right there, that's what I'm going to get at next, must not be quarrelsome, be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. What does it mean to be the Lord's servants? Are you guys servants of the Lord? Are you? The answer is yes, 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 yes. It's not a trick question. Yes, yes. You're, you're, I'm, not, I'm not here to say, ah, no, you're not. Yes, you are. Okay. You are servants of the Lord. Now, if you are servants of the Lord, you really need to know what that means. Here's why. It's because the word servant or even slave in our culture is not a term that we, we use. It's just not a term. And so that, that's something that we have, we've moved away from because of the horrible ramifications surrounding it. So when we hear the words servant or slave, we, we tend to like think, what, what does that mean? That doesn't really mean very much in our culture. So 
it's good to kind of get the, get the definition of it. But I want you to see really what it is. The Lord's servant is this. I went back to the original language. It means this. It means a slave who is bound to do what he is told regardless of what he thinks about it. So imagine this as a person, like if they were a servant or a slave, then they were told they have to go uh, mow the lawn. Well, I don't want to do it. Let's talk about it. Like, well, there would be no, no conversation. You understand? You have to do what's being told of you. Well, that is actually the way God is with us. Now, you might say, well, I don't want that. I want to have a free choice. You do have a free choice. You do. But we choose to submit ourselves to God and to be his servant, a slave to God who is bound to do what he is told regardless of what he thinks about it. In other words, I need to do what God's telling me regardless of my emotions or feelings at the time. I need to do what I'm supposed to do. And so that's what Paul is getting at here is instead of being driven by your emotions and doing all this stuff, you're stepping outside of being the Lord's servant. So if you're going to, if you're going to do this, you need to just to understand that you are an influencer. You are an influencer, but you have to be an influencer who is controlled by God. You're the Lord's servant. So that takes me to influence principle number two, which is this. Remember that you are a bondservant of Christ his ways are more important than your thoughts. In fact, they supersede your thoughts. One of the challenges, though, is, is I know, is like, well, then how am I going to know his ways? How am I going to know his thoughts? Uh, I'll tell you, I, I challenge you to be in the scriptures daily. I really do. I challenge you to do that because you will begin hearing from God. Uh, in fact, we, we recently just read through the entire book of Proverbs. It was a fantastic uh, time reading that together. And now on the City Life app, there's, there's another challenge on there to read through the, book of, read through the New Testament, which is the, first, the last quarter of the Bible. And, uh, and that just do, between now and the end of the year, I mean, it's, it's really very simple if you follow a Bible reading plan. You can join me because I've already started the plan. I'm enjoying the, my time going through the New Testament. And I just challenge you to do the same because when you're in that, constantly you are hearing from God and that stuff's going to be in you so that when you come to situations where you don't know what to do you're like wait a minute I remember I was reading this and that's really what God's speaking to me right now and so you're able to apply it to your life that's what I want you to be able to do Um, it's going to keep you focused on the right things to do the right things to say and whether or not to engage in this or that conversation now let's take a look back at that, that scripture again. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Wait, we've seen the word quarrel twice. Produce quarrels and we're not supposed to be quarrelsome. So let's talk about that for a second. If the word is in there twice, that means it is important. Um, again, why are we going to be quarrelsome? Why do we create quarrels? It's because we want our own way. We want control of a situation, but we're not supposed to be that way. To quarrel, actually, it's interesting, the definition of quarrel means this. It means a sword fight to the death. That's what quarrel means. In fact, the original language is, is a term which is mache, which is, which is where we get our word machete. So thank you very much, Devin. I appreciate you bringing this to me. You can yeah, leave the platform now, but because I'm going to be swinging this baby right here. You know what? This, this is the representation that the writer chose to use regarding quarrel. So when Paul was writing to Timothy about quarreling, he's saying, 
You don't need to be quarrelsome. You don't, the Lord's servants shouldn't quarrel. To quarrel means to sword fight to the death. We don't need to be doing that. Do you know our mouths are like swords? You can chop a person up and cut a person, just, just, just cut a person up with our words. Why would we do that? like well i've just got the instrument here i'm pretty good at using this so like no 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 don't use your words to destroy tear up beat down someone else you know the scriptures tells us that that god's word the scriptures is like a sword yeah absolutely i i believe that but it's it's used differently it's not used to attack and to destroy people. Some people actually try to take God's word and do that with it, and that's wrong. But actually what the word of God does, it's, it's like it, it, it cuts. The scripture says that it's like it cuts away the junk out of our lives. See, because we engage the word of God, so we allow the sword of the spirit to trim all the, the junk out of our lives. That's actually pretty awesome. But if you, you are using your words, which are like a sword also, and you use them on other people to hack at them and to beat at them and to draw blood, you're creating a problem. See, this term that Paul used here, quarrel, mache, it was used to, in that time it was used to describe armed combatants that would fight other guys to the death with sharpened sword. It's always spoke of hand-to-hand combat um, and, and the, the end result would always be one, or but, but quite often two people mangled and chopped up on the floor at the end. And you know the truth, that is what happens with a lot of quarreling. And it ought not be. So we need to resist the lure of foolish arguments. I love being able to preach this right now because I'm not preaching it in a reactive way whatsoever because I don't know of any quarreling that's going on. I don't know, any, but I know when the Holy Spirit says to speak something, I'm going to speak it so that we can be prepared. We can be ready. We can be ready. Because, you know, anger and quarreling and division and hostility, godly influencers cannot act this way. We can't. Which takes me to that influence principle number three. Never use your mouth to cut others to pieces. Because if you do this, you're losing your influence to make Jesus known. Let's go back to the scripture again. Let's take a look at this. Uh, here it is. Says Paul, Paul says this is Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and absurd arguments because you know they produce quarrels. The Lord's servant must, be, must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. That word kind, pretty simple. That, does, that just means proper. It means to be affable, to be mild, you know, to, to be mild-mannered. Uh, in other words, you're not allowing negative emotions to come up out of your mouth and say really, really horrible things. Uh, you know, getting upset doesn't make something better. If you start screaming and fighting back, you're only letting others know that you have an internal need for more strength and fortitude yourself. So, so it's best not to allow that to happen. And, uh, and, you know, when you allow your feelings to get the best of yourself, really you're reducing yourself to the other person's level. That's not worth it at all. Instead, just be affable. I, uh, this, this next principle, principle number four for influence, is to be a people person. Just learn to love people. 
It's like, but I don't like people. Well, you are one, so you need to first of all learn to like yourself, and then just learn to like some other people around you. Just learn to like them. I, I, I borrowed those words, be a people person, from a book that, that I, was one of my very first books I ever picked up on leadership, written by John, Dr. John Maxwell back in the 80s. It's a classic today. It's still read all over the place. Uh, but uh, it's just to be, a, in other words, it means just be, not, be kind to people. Be kind. Be kind. I don't don't allow yourself to grunt and growl all the time. In fact, in fact, if that other person is getting under your skin, you say, "But they're but they're not kind to me." It's like, well, so are you letting them set the standards? Don't let them set the standards. No, no, no. You go ahead and set the standard, and you be kind and affable and lovable. All right, be a people person. Influence principle number five is this, is to be able to teach and instruct. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to school and be a school teacher. Some of you do that. And you're very good at that. I'm happy for you. Uh, in fact, that's even what I'm doing right now. But really being, being able to teach and instruct means this. A person comes to you with a situation or an ordeal in your life, and you have an answer for them. You may not have the answer, but you have an answer for them. How are you going to be equipped for that? Well, one of the best ways to be equipped for it is, is, is this thing of just simply taking notes on Sundays, writing stuff down and referring back to them. I have people come to me all the time and say, man, I, I like Pastor, that sermon you preached three years ago, remember it? I'm like, no, nah, I don't remember. Well, I, I have the notes. And they said, that helped me out in a situation I was facing. I looked up my notes and was able to give someone some answers to some, uh, some situations. So that's what that means. Influence principle five is you should be ready, ready to teach, ready to instruct, have something that you're able to give. All right, go back to that scripture. Let's read through it one more time. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, and not resentful. And, and when I look at that, it's like, yeah, resentful is a good word. Uh, it's not necessarily the best translation, but I don't know what would be the best. So I, 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 what it really means is that you're not going to give up on the other person. You're going to, like, bear with them. Uh, the, the words not resentful in its original language are, is defined this. It means to bear with the depraved or the wicked. So you, you, you bear, in other words, you put up with their responses, whether it's good or whether it's bad, you put up with it. It's like, well, I don't have to put up with anything. Well, you do need to do. Put, you need to put up with some people's uh, actions and reactions if it's, it's just a bunch of verbal nonsense. Just like, give them some space, all right? Um, because ultimately, it's about the person. Um, your love for the person will supersede your love for your opinions to get through to that person. Your love for that person will supersede your desire to have, have this position of, of leverage over them that you know more than they do. And I'm telling you guys, that, d- that doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't. So influence principle number six is this, is to be tolerant toward mean people. Be tolerant toward mean people. You know, if, if someone's mean to you, don't be resentful back toward them. Because you're really falling into the same trap that the, the enemy has already set for you and you lose your influence. Now, when I say, 
When I say tolerant, I know that that's kind of a buzzword today, and, and people say it a lot that we should be tolerant about everything. And 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 you know, you guys know I, I, that's that's not that's not the the meaning that I'm having here. It's kind of like yeah, your your child wants to run and play in the street, and like well, I'm going to be tolerant because I want them to make their own decisions. So no, you run outside and you grab the kid and you pull them off the street. You know what I'm saying? Because so so tolerance has has its limits, but the scriptural the scriptural way to be tolerant is this: is you're to be tolerant toward mean people. That's really it. Which then means you have to have a huge amount of God's spirit in you and self-control, which is one of those things that, we, that I want you to have. I want you to have that. Really, I want to give you these final thoughts here before I close. Um, and it comes from the book of Romans. When Paul wrote to the church at Rome, another very, very, very influential church. People in this church were a part of Caesar's household and I want you to listen to these words that are spoken to the believers that are there. This is powerful. I want to read this from the, the Passion Translation. But as I'm reading through this, I, I want you guys to open your hearts and listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Because I believe in this passage, God's going to illuminate something that you need to jot down, write down, and apply to your life today, immediately. We just open your heart, listen to God's word. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another. And never play the role of an actor wearing a mask, despise evil, and embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. It's beautiful, isn't it? Keep looking. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion toward Him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let Him fill you with excitement as you serve Him. Let this hope burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in the time of trouble, but commune with God at all times. Take a constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people and respond by helping them and eagerly welcome people as guests into your home. Speak blessing, not cursing, over those who reject and persecute you. Celebrate with those who celebrate and weep with those who weep. Live happily together in a spirit of harmony and be as mindful of another's worth as you are of your own. Don't live with a lofty mindset thinking you are too important to serve others, but be willing to do menial tasks and identify with those who are humble-minded. Don't be smug or even think for a moment that you know it all. And never hold a grudge or try to get even. But plan your life around the noblest way to benefit others. Do your best to live as everybody's friend. Beloved, don't be obsessed with taking revenge, but leave that to God's righteous justice. For the scriptures say, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And if your enemy is hungry, well, buy him lunch. <laughs> Win him over with kindness. 
For your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience and God will reward you with favor. Never let evil defeat you, but defeat evil with good. That's God's word for us today. That's what I'm asking you to take hold of and to walk out of here with today. That's what I want you to receive. That's what I impart to you. Would you just bow your heads all across this room? Just, I don't want any movement here for just a moment. Just stay still here for just a second. I, I just want to ask you this question. Are you in right relationship with Jesus? Is your sin forgiven? And is it behind you? Because if not, I, I want to pray a prayer with you today so that you can step into that full life that he has for you. I want you to have that. Jesus said he came that you may have life and have life to the full. I would love it if you would just say, yeah, man, that's, Pastor, that's me. I need to step into the life of Jesus. I need my sin forgiven. I, I want eternity. I want to live. If that's you, would you just do a favor for me by lifting your hand at the count of three? That way I can see your hand and connect my faith with yours. You do that today. You want to give your life to Jesus. Raise your hand. One, two, three. Lift it now so I can see. Lift it now so I can see. Yeah, thanks. Who else? Who else? Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. Here's what I'd like for us to do. If you lifted your hand, I want you to pray these words. And in doing so, make things right. Dear Jesus, thank you, God. In fact, congregation, I want you to say the, pray this with me as an encouragement to those who are praying it. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for giving your life for me. I pray that you will forgive me of all my sin. Cleanse me with your precious blood. I give my life to you. Today I give up my past and I embrace the future that you have for me. I receive you as my Savior. And I receive you as the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.